Hi, everyone. This is Headcase Podcast. I'm here with Jack Leary. Hey. And we are on air today with a special guest named Taylor Lee. We're calling her from Charlotte, North Carolina, right? Yep. <laughs> Amazing. So, Taylor, you are an artist. Yep. Mm-hmm. And you also, uh, according to your bio, are a bipolar artist. So can you tell me a little bit about what goes into being a bipolar artist? Also, how how that even began? Like, what made you want to become an artist to begin with? Yeah, um, I think that both being an artist and also being bipolar has kind of been ingrained in me since I can remember. Okay. And, um, I mean, the long story short, we'll definitely get more into it, but the, like probably the shortest version is just to say that um I when I started like accepting myself 100% for who I was 100% of me not just like taking apart myself like it's a buffet at a restaurant or something um all of that kind of came together to be like what are the two things that I think about and care about the most and one of those is art all the time, and the other is my ongoing, like, um, my struggle isn't a great word because there are also, like, good parts right. of being bipolar. Absolutely. But, yeah, the ongoing um, adventure of being bipolar. Okay. So I kind yeah. of decided, you know, like, why are, why are these disparate? Why can't I put them together? So was art something you've always loved since you were a kid before you ever knew you were bipolar? Absolutely. My, um, I lived with my grandma when I was a kid. My sister, me, my mom, we all lived with my grandma when I was young. And um, we didn't have like cable or um, a lot of neighborhood friends because my dad is a deadbeat dad and he would like threaten to like, kidnap us and stuff. So really? we had like this really dramatic like dynamic with that for a a long time in my childhood and so we didn't like really go to sleepovers we didn't really get to do extracurricular activities we just spent a lot of time at home where it was safe and um so we had to like really rely on our imaginations in order to entertain ourselves and one of the things that I did all the time with my grandma was art projects like um, we'd make birdhouses and then paint them and we'd make stained glass window um, panes and like hang those up and we watch Bob Ross on PBS <laughs> and all that. Like it was just very like creative, like nurturing in a creative way. Well, that's incredible. It's a good outlet mm-hmm. to have. So yes, definitely. you, what, when was, how old were you when all the things were happening with your dad? Um, Really, really young. My mom divorced him when I was in the womb. Oh, okay. So my and my sister's older, so she like has vague re- memories of him, but I don't. I never met him, and um, it was kind of dramatic for like a little while when we were younger, mm-hmm. a few years, and then my mom got remarried when I was six, and I didn't like hear anything from my dad for a really long time until I got to high school and he, this is so dramatic. He sent like a private investigator to talk to me 
and was trying to like appeal to me um like around my mom and um I just like I never chose to act upon that connection because I never like missed him because I never had him right you didn't yeah need (laughs) necessarily need that um, yeah, I didn't have a relationship whole. Um, we had my mom and then we had my grandma. And so I think my grandma kind of acted as like the other parent for yeah. a long time. Yeah. It's interesting how other family members can fill that void too. Yeah. Yeah. My mom grew up with a single, as a single, with a single mom. So I can understand how from her stories, how you're feeling about it too. If very hard. <laughs> yeah. Um, so in a medical standpoint, do you know a lot about your dad's like genetic history and all of that? I don't. I have wondered though, especially, you know, nowadays everybody's doing 23andMe and all that stuff. And, um, I really wonder because like, like my sister looks nothing like my mom, but I look like my mom. Right. And so my my sister and I don't even look related. <laughs> and really? It's like, yeah, it's so strange. Um, but we don't even really look related. And I wonder about his, um, whether he had mental illness. Yeah. And I can't, I mean, my mom hasn't ever been diagnosed with anything, mm-hmm. but I feel like that generation didn't really seek out diagnosis or it's help. true, yeah. It's Especially hard to really tell (laughs) yeah yeah especially in like a small rural town nobody everybody just assumes that it's like life is normal right (laughs) and we just go about and we suck it up and we pull ourselves up by our bootstraps right they sweep it under the rug (laughs) right right our um our generation has that that rap for like being too sensitive or whatever yeah totally (laughs) so when Um, what age were you when you were diagnosed well, it took a really long time. Mm-hmm. I was, um, like, I remember being pretty sad and stuff as a kid, but then um, it wasn't until high school that I did, like, some Googling, but it wasn't really Google back then. I think it was, like, Ask Jeeves. Oh <laughs> <laughs> so I asked Jeeves about how I was feeling, and I got, um, like, I tracked down information about depression on the Internet, and I really thought that's what was wrong with me. Right. And so um, I like I asked my mom about it and kind of going back to that, like that generation just in my experience doesn't know what to do with that information. Right. <laughs> um, she didn't do anything. And yeah. so I didn't actually receive the help I needed for a long time. OK. Yeah. I didn't like have an ally and I didn't like go to the guidance counselor and it wasn't like a Hillary Swank character coming in and. Right. You know, intervening. Or right. Um, I didn't actually get diagnosed with anything. And so I was in college and my first diagnosis was with anorexia, actually. Oh, wow. OK. Yes. I didn't get the bipolar diagnosis until like 2017. So do you think leading up to that, that all of these instances sort of kind of came together as being signs of bipolar disorder or do you think it's just a separate, like being having your anorexia and all of that? Do you think that was like a separate thing or do you think it all kind of influenced it? I definitely think that it was all, um, all like leading up to bipolar because right. 
my my best understanding about myself as a bipolar person um, is that I I struggle a lot with emo- like regulating my emotions and this like up and down sign chart of you know highs and lows and because I am uncomfortable with that or when I was a kid and younger I've grown to be more comfortable but um I like sought out some form of control Mm -hmm. and I think that anorexia was really a manifestation of this like I gotta control something it's like the only thing you can control yeah yeah I definitely think I was taking this like um this stance against more of my like emotional when I was taking it out on my physical right and I also, I received the diagnosis of borderline personality disorder mm-hmm. in like 2015 or something. Um, the anorexia diagnosis was 2012. Okay. So I just kind of went through like several periods of time where it was like, well, now it's anorexia. Okay. Well, that's over. What's still wrong with me? Right. I guess maybe you're borderline. Well, that's not really fixing things what's wrong with me and then like we just kept like it was almost like um like cleaning out a closet when you're just like pulling it all out and like looking at it and does this bring me joy (laughs) right uh, does this bring me peace so it was just like a long time coming but I really feel like at the end of all of it the bipolar diagnosis just made the most sense. Like this is what I've been grappling with this whole time and I was just kind of acting out in different ways Right. And yeah. I, I think being diagnosed, especially with like a multiple things leading up to that is it's hard to, it's hard to really take into account what, what actually is real and what's not real when it comes, if one thing wasn't really a true diagnosis. And even if it was, I've heard different things about borderline and how you can maybe grow out of it at a certain age it's interesting that you can like really take a diagnosis and just almost it's important I think to be able to like ignore it if you don't feel like it's right because just because someone else says that doesn't mean it's true necessarily. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like I could just argue for like a bunch of different disorders if I really wanted to. Yeah. But um to me the diagnosis itself like or you know, racking them up like, you know, coins or trophies or something like that doesn't matter to me. It's more of just getting, making sure I have clarity about what I'm dealing with so that I can make a plan for how to um, effectively like manage it. So like, um, you know, borderline personality disorder, there's not technically a medication for it. Right. You just, you medicate the symptoms. Right. Then bipolar that actually does have medication for specifically it. So I think that's when it really starts to matter. Yeah. Um, Cause and like, it, you know, if someone was like ADD, they would need different medication than someone who was manic. Right. Absolutely. And it's like yeah. not a one size fits all thing. So it's hard to diagnose someone like that too. So it's easy to kind of say, Oh, you're bipolar, but there's a lot more that goes into it. Yes, absolutely. So did you have any major things that led up to it that kind of, because it sounds to me like you really did a lot of this yourself and 
it's obviously no one else's fault considering, you know, yeah, the former generation is, is a little bit more closed off to therapy and what to do with that kind of thing. But it sounds to me like you really took the initiative to get help for yourself because you felt something was wrong. I did. I have just felt like out of control with my emotions for so long Mm -hmm. where I would just be like on top of the world. And then before I know it, I'm like plummeting in despair. Right. And that just takes such a toll on a person, like slipping back and forth constantly. Mm -hmm. Um, So I just had kind of recognized that for many years, I wasn't finding happiness because I always felt like I was like messing it up somehow or um, that like depression was inevitable or there was always this like feeling that an outside force was like a dark cloud. Yeah, it was yeah. just like playing around with me or something and that I couldn't really predict it and that I was like a victim to it. Right. Which my point of view on that has definitely changed. But um, like in college, I had a really hard time as you like leave home. So that's stressful for everybody. Right. And then you're um, I was raised very like strictly, as I described, like we didn't really get to like do extracurriculars and stuff. Right. So when I get to college, like now I get to try drinking and now I get, there's like drugs everywhere. Right, the freedom. people and boys and like all that stuff. Um, So I just felt like I kind of, like up until then, up until college, I was definitely this perfectionist, overachiever. And then when I got there, I just like totally flipped to the other end of the spectrum where I was flunking and I was partying and just trying to like cope with something right (laughs) some kind of pain just kept like coming up and then also the way I was coping led to a lot more pain and um like a vicious cycle yeah it's just like I, I just knew like whatever I was doing wasn't working but then I thought like once once I figured out that I was anorexic and got help for that I was like oh it's just you know, I was dealing with anorexia. Of right. course, I was a little off. And then, you know, I think everything's fine. And then I just can't hold down a job because one minute I'm an overachiever who is like the boss's favorite and I'm getting promoted constantly. And then right. the next I'm skipping work all the time and I'm not, I'm unreliable and I quit. <laughs> right. Just, you know, like I'm all over the spectrum here. And so were and, you diagnosed uh, with bipolar two? Um, bipolar one. Okay. Yep. Interesting. So, um, I mean, you have one of the most colorful Instagram accounts I've ever seen, by the way, which is great. (laughs) Cool. (laughs) So when did you start getting back into art after like being, you know, so up and down through school and, you know, probably not, you probably weren't, I mean, creating as much as you are now. I definitely had a different relationship with art. I would take, I took a couple classes in high school and I really enjoyed those. So in college, I found a way to like take one as an elective. It never crossed my mind to just be like an art major, which now I look back and I'm like, I should have just done that. (laughs) I never like crossed my mind. So I just took like an elective course, but um, 
that course in college I took during a time that was pretty dark. And so I ended up flunking that. Mm-hmm. And then um, when I went to, um, it's called Carolina House, which is the clinic I went to for treatment for my eating disorder. Uh-huh. They had an expressive arts group, so like an art therapy um, thing. Like a therapist would come in once a week and we would get to do like a session with her. And then at the same time, we had a lot of free, we had like free blocked off time that you could use however you wanted. And there was this big, like, um, kind of like a rec room, but it had a big art closet. So I did a lot of art when I was going through treatment for anorexia. And then I stayed with an art therapist after I left. And, um, so for a long time, I really only made art as a source of therapeutic like relief right and I was still like really unhappy with how my stuff looked so I couldn't make art for the sake of making art and being happy with what I made so it was really focused on the process yeah it was it's already like that's already a battle in itself with people who are creative just never being (laughs) never being a hundred what kind of art do you make I make a lot of abstract stuff and for a long time it's been like bright color explosion um base but lately i've been getting more into exploring graphic elements like taking the chaos and then putting like really clean shapes with it and things like that cool that's very cool do you feel you mentioned the chaos excuse me do you feel like um before or after your uh bipolar uh, diagnosis you've been able you've been freed as an artist or do you feel like there's still you know uh, a, a process for you to be able to achieve what you're trying to do with your art I think a little bit of both uh-huh. um, when I like started really owning that I was both bipolar and an artist and I wanted to put them together I was able to like um, just kind of like be unapologetic about what I was making as I oftentimes in the past have made stuff and I'll show someone and I'll be like, Oh, here, look at this thing I made. I mean, it's just a rough, um, it's just a rough draft. And like, I'm not really happy with how this part is. And, right. you know, I, I was really thinking that I would do something like this, but not exactly this. Like it was always like, this isn't good enough. This isn't good enough. And I have to tell everyone that I know it's not good enough. Mm-hmm. Um, so now I feel more freed with just being like, you know what, it, it's just good enough no matter what. And right. um, It's almost I, like, like paral- it and- parallels like how you feel about yourself almost. It's like you make excuses for yourself. You apologize for yourself. You don't have to apologize for who you are, and you shouldn't apologize for your art either. Right, right. Being able to recognize, like, even if something isn't perfect, not being like it has no – like uh legitimacy now because it's not perfect right so do you do you um sell your art i do um that's my main source of income now which is awesome that's amazing (laughs) congrats yeah (laughs) um so you mentioned i know it says in your bio too that you um have support groups for artists who have mental illnesses and all of that. So what do you, what do you do exactly in that regard? Well, um, true, like just being honest, I am the type of person who 
people like get really excited about an idea and have all the ideas and like we're gonna do this we're gonna do that we're gonna do this and then like my follow-through isn't as great so yeah the support group is definitely still in development we def- we formed it on um, Facebook just because you know why not <laughs> right it's a good start um, yeah it's a good start and I mean, the when I first started it, it had about, like, 200 people in two days. It really, like, had a lot of momentum. That's and great. so far, what we've really focused on in the group is getting to know each other and being a place where you can come and um, talk a little bit more, like, candidly about what you're struggling with personally as well as your art. Because I know Instagram is a place where people share, but... It feels a little bit more curated. Yeah, they share their best selves. (laughs) Exactly. And you might like, you might not share something if you don't think it's good enough. Right. You like hide it. Whereas in our support group, people are encouraged to share like in progress, you know, like this isn't perfect or this is an idea or this is something I'm struggling with or, and it's not just art related. It's really focused on how you're doing as a person and yeah. how getting okay with that will have like a ripple effect and make you feel better about everything else that you're doing. That's so true. It sounds yeah. like you can really go like the support group itself can really go take a, on a life of its own in so yeah, many ways. I too. really hope that we do like book clubs and meetups and workshops and all that kind of stuff. It's really overwhelming for me personally because I'm not super great socially. Mm -hmm. I'm like um, from being raised so strictly and not really being allowed to socialize with people in extracurriculars or like sleepovers and stuff. I feel kind of like I was a little bit socially impaired (laughs) and I'm like really introverted. And um, like if you pay any attention to Enneagram, I'm a type five, which is like we're definitely loners. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I crave community so much and I like I just really the only thing I want at the end of the day is to be loved and to love (laughs) and so I'm trying to like put that um like manifest that in the group of like letting more people in and being there for people too and not feeling like I have to be my perfect self before I can start working on relationships with other people absolutely and you know it's not you're not alone in that like I think most people get super excited about all the things they want to do and don't always follow through with them. Also get completely overwhelmed by how much they could do. And then that kind of stumps them as well. But it's like, you'd be shocked how many people who are on TV and act and do all these things that have this like social anxiety that they can't quite break break free from even though they are really good at talking on television and in a very formal setting it's being alone at a party and having small talk is terrifying to some people so it's I (laughs) think I think having a support group you're going to be able to find that a lot of people in that group feel exactly like you do so it'll be even easier to to communicate with each other that way and kind of and there's nothing wrong with that either like being a loner is not there's nothing wrong with being a loner if that's who you if that's who you are I feel like it makes more 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 makes other people uncomfortable than it would the actual person because most people are 
assume that like in order to be happy, you need to be surrounded by people all the time. But some people are just super happy being with themselves and in like solitude and all of that. So it's interesting. Other people try to make people comfortable, even with mental health. It's like you, you don't have to downplay things to make other people comfortable because it should all be out there anyway. And then it won't be (laughs) so (laughs) taboo and obscure for people to listen to. I think that I like see parts of myself unfolding when I am more upfront about what I'm struggling with. Yeah. Totally. So, for instance, like, I might say no to an event because of the social anxiety. Um, and, like, if I feel like um, maybe the person doesn't really know who I am as, like, on a personal level, they just know me professionally. They ask me to do, like, a workshop, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I can't do that, and I say no. So then if, like, someone else asks, and that's a person who I feel comfortable saying, like, you know... I have, I struggle with panic attacks and I'm really nervous that I'll have a panic attack at this workshop. Is there any way that like, you know, we, you could, I could bring an assistant so that they could take over if I like needed a minute. And if I have, and if I'm able to have that dialogue with the person and just be open about like, what am I really afraid of happening here? Right. <laughs> then I am a lot stronger and normally we can like make accommodations and figure it out. And then I get to the event and I never have a panic attack and it's all fine. Yeah. It's just like being able to be honest and say in the same way that someone say, you know, who had like diabetes would be like, I might have to step away and inject insulin in order to be okay. You know, we just have that stigma with mental illness where we're like, oh, here's my little secret. I have panic attacks and I don't want you to know my secret. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you shouldn't have to hide that. No, I think it's just as serious as physical illnesses. And I'm really glad that the tide is turning where people are more understanding and it's less stigmatized than it used to be. Yeah. We still have a long way to go, but. (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, every, it's, it's definitely like, there's still that stigma out there, but I think more people are, open to hearing about it even if even if they themselves seem like they've never gone through anything or or don't struggle internally or don't have any diagnosis or anything like that so I think even having those support groups like you said you got over 100 people joined within like the first day that's just telling that how many people that's a needed thing Mm -hmm. and people want that so I think that's awesome yeah so how has this whole experience leading up to where you are today affected things like your relationships and on a romantic level or just with your friends and things like that? It's been, it's been a little tough for mm-hmm. me. Um, romantically, I've always like sought out partners who felt safe to me. Right. And I did end up finding, I married and I found a really good guy who's, um, like, uh, he's by no means like my safe option, <laughs> but he, right. you know, like there's passion and love, but at the same time there's safety and trust, which is hugely important to me. Yeah. It's um, definitely important in any <laughs> relationship, I think. Yes. <laughs> yes. Like, you know, um, if you've been through a distressful relationship once, you like lose your taste. You're like, never oh, mind. totally. Yeah. But friendships have been a lot harder for me. Because um, 
I think that like we attract certain people to ourselves and for a long time I was more of this like um this quiet type that was more willing to put my own needs aside for someone else's and so I attracted a lot of people who would like who needed that you know people who were maybe more extroverted and they wanted more of the attention and um were a little bit needier and like that kind of thing Mm -hmm. and sometimes it was really toxic for me and it was a struggle to like break out of that toxic situation yeah and then other times I'd be like this is a really good friendship I have on my hands I just want to make sure that I'm not like fading into the background of like doing everything for this one person like not listening to my own needs because I just have a long history of not listening to my own needs and um so it's been it's been really tough because you don't want to be a pushover in the friendship and you know and not be reciprocated yeah so but at the same time I was never really taught how I never really learned how to like healthily communicate boundaries and communicate your needs and so typically I'll like my mistake will be holding it all in until I just like burst in anger you know yeah instead of like communicating it all along I just store it up and then I get really mad and we you know blow it out of proportion completely right it's that fear of confrontation and yes I have a huge fear of confrontation yeah, so I think that's I, like a, a a big thing of, of that is just like a, an emotional intelligence that's really hard to learn and just being aware of what your own emotions are and yeah, and in order to control them like so you if you are feeling, you know, some type of way towards your friend and you really want to say something but you almost don't want to make it a big deal and then it ends up being a way bigger deal if you don't handle it in the right way then and there. It's really interesting yeah. how <laughs> how this emotional intelligence comes into play, but it's something so many people struggle with, like whether they're diagnosed with mental illness or not. Um, right. Which is really interesting. And that's why I like talking to people who, who are willing to open up about these things because it shows that just because, you know, one person like you're a bipolar artist, that's what kind of how you present yourself on social media but then there could be a person who's just will never speak up about their mental health or anything like that but they could be exactly the same way so it's interesting yeah absolutely yeah I think um that's one of the like major things that I can identify about myself that still needs a lot of help like um the you know having healthy relationships and friendships and things because I'm not very close to my family and I'm not very close to like I don't have a ton of friends that I actually let in really close I have like a ton of acquaintances but I am very it's strange because I am so open on like a public platform but personally I'm a lot more guarded right and so I'm just like I appear to be like you know an open book but really I'm very like reserved and cautious and I worry about scaring people away and 
So this is just a big thing that I'm trying to work on. Yeah. So that I don't die alone. <laughs> do you, um, do you seek therapy? Yes. <laughs> yes. And, you and see my it. therapist and I are, um, are really working on the relationship thing by like practicing me communicating what I need to him as if he was, you know, like another person yeah. and instead of like, just emailing him when I have an issue, like trying to actually like say it to his face and that kind of thing. Right. You have to kind of say it out loud because you can, it's easy to hide behind communication like via email and all of the millions of devices we have. Mm -hmm. So do you find therapy to be helpful for you in that, in that way? I mean, I know it's not obviously therapy is always an ongoing process but you've definitely been through a lot in your life from the time you were young and your family and your dad and all of that so I think in in therapy do you kind of repack unpack all of those things in order to figure yourself out more yes I have never learned more about myself than I have in therapy And um, I think the type of the therapist is really important because Mm -hmm. I used to only see like counselors. Yeah. And that is definitely a thing that is very useful, but I don't think it was working for me. So now I see a psychotherapist Mm -hmm. and we get a little deeper into like, you know, um, like what happened in your childhood that conditioned you to view certain situations a certain way and like, um, so, you know, we'll talk about present things that are going on in my life, but mm-hmm. we'll usually find ways to connect them to the past and be right. like, this is part of a larger pattern. And if we want to change the pattern, this is what we're going to have to relearn, etc. Yeah. That's super important. It's like you kind of have to unlearn things to relearn them and get back yeah. into it <laughs> in order to be like the person that you want to be and or the person you know is inside of you that is kind of stunted because you don't really know how to go about these things just because as humans, we're just so habitual that it's just so hard to change a habit and it applies to everything. It's not just biting your nails. It's literally the way you interact with people day to day or how you look at yourself in the mirror or anything like that. Yes. It's, um, it's really good to see a therapist so that you can focus on those long-term things, but also get support for like more immediate needs. Like when I, um, when I tip into more of a depressive episode, sometimes I have suicidal ideation. And so Mm -hmm. being able to like have a reliable therapist, um, who like I'm seeing on a regular basis and stuff, they know my history, they know like my triggers, they know, um, they know what I'm going through, so I don't feel like I'm alone. Yeah. Um, that thing is really important. Sometimes I feel like therapists can be, we can almost view a therapist like we view medication where we're like, I don't think I need it anymore. And then right. we stop like doing it. And then in like a few months, you really, really need somebody and, or medicine and you don't have it. <laughs> yeah. I think that's why it's important to go like once a week or once every couple of weeks. Cause it's true. Like a lot can happen in this short amount of time. And then you're, you're suddenly overwhelmed with all these things going on in your life and you don't really have that outlet. So I can relate exactly. to that at least. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. You really can 
easily say, oh, I don't think I need this anymore. I mean, you definitely learn tools along the way in order to cope with whatever it is you're going through. But new things arise all the time, whether it's like manifested by our own minds or literally happening in real life. <laughs> right. Or like maybe there's something that you never really dealt with and then yeah. it comes up. So like I know that when all of the like um, – you know, Ford and Kavanaugh, like hearings were taking place. A lot of people were triggered because they were like, you know, I went through something like this, like I was sexually assaulted. And then you see it all over the news all of a sudden. And something that you really buried within you is being taught about on a daily basis. And you have friends and family sharing their opinions about it on Facebook. And you're thinking, well, if they think Dr. Ford is a liar, do they think, would they think I was a liar? Yeah. And like you start, yeah, like it just gets like stirred up out of nowhere. Right. <laughs> it's it good if you have a therapist big, in place. It's like a domino effect. It really is. Yeah. I think we don't, um, maybe we don't recognize as much how easily something can get stirred up. Right. And it's interesting also the whole generational thing. If people from one generation suffered through like a traumatic experience versus a traumatic experience happening right now, they would sometimes they would handle it completely differently and Mm -hmm. even still don't want to talk about it or still don't want to uh, rehash it or don't agree with the way things are handled. It's, it's really interesting how, how that comes into play, but it's sort of the same thing we were just talking about with unlearning things to relearn them. So. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like maybe a social media, but it just feels as if things come up like all the time now. Yeah. Whereas when I was younger, it didn't feel like things just came up. Yeah, it's so like true. Everything is coming up now, like sexual assault, like, you know, racism, sexism, like, um, you know, classism, like all that stuff is just constantly like, you know, like the wall, all that, all that crap. Yeah. It's just like. It feels like we never get a break. Never from, from bad all news. Of this horrible <laughs> stuff happening. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think it's important to unplug from all of that. I think I think it's really important to be informed and follow the news and what's going on in in the world. But I do think it's important to unplug because with so much coming at you at once, it can really take a toll on just your own health and mindset and people don't realize how many external factors really affect your, your day-to-day well-being. So yeah. Do you, do you often unplug from social media? I know you have quite a, you've quite a big following, so I'm sure it's like, I have to. <laughs> yeah. Cause you have to like stay sane and keep your, keep everything together. Yes. I really love connecting with people. Um, so like I, pay attention to my direct messages and stuff but sometimes it's just like sometimes it's too much because um like you'll get you know a bunch of messages in your inbox about like someone else who's struggling you know like a, a bunch of these other stories and like sometimes you read them and you're like you know oh my gosh yay I'm like finding people who I connect with and I'm so glad that they're telling me their story that's brave of them and like you really connect and then some days you're like in a bad place right and you're like I I will doubt my ability to like give sound healthy advice back right <laughs> and I'm like I don't know what to say to you I'm gonna screw it up I'm yeah. going through my own thing right now 
it's, it's hard definitely to be there for people while also giving yourself space to like, just be, be you and not like carry the world and their problems on your shoulders too. Yeah. And sometimes it's just really difficult to listen to other people's problems and then kind of, especially as like someone in a platform position like you have with your your Instagram account and then wanting to be this kind of leader of a support group or whatever it is it's it's hard to listen to other people and then you kind of have to you take on that role as like almost a pseudo therapist in a way where you like are a counselor and listening to these things but it's also hard when you are dealing with your own problems and don't necessarily know how to handle someone else's because you're not certified in that or whatever it is. So there is a weird balance, but I think that's comes back again to the whole boundaries thing too. Yeah. Yeah. I try to think of it like, um, one of the jobs, one of the many jobs I tried was teaching and like you're, um, so you're kind of this voice of authority and reason in the classroom where you're supposed to be with this like class full of students but then sometimes, you know, if you don't know what to say, sometimes you just have to be like, I'm really sorry. I think this is something that you need to talk to your parents about or I need to like, I need to check with my boss before I talk about this anymore. Like, yeah. I, you know, you still have to kind of recognize when you feel like you've reached your limit of being helpful so right. that you don't just like for the sake of trying to help you end up hurting. Yeah. Yeah, and it is a huge responsibility to take on that kind of role as someone's <laughs> someone's mentor almost. Yeah, exactly. Um, so where do you have a website, Taylor? That Definitely. People, so tell us your website so people could uh, go on and purchase your art. <laughs> Great. Um, my name is very common, Taylor Lee. So I had to add a verb to the end of my name. So it's TaylorLeePaints.com. Okay. And that's also her Instagram account, TaylorLeePaints. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, thank you so much for talking to us today. Yeah. I would love course. to have I you. I love your podcast. Thank you so much. I would love to have you back on um, in a bit to hear, like, more about how things are going for you. Also, like, with your art, your support group, and how – you know, how you're, how you're developing and all the things that you are trying to work on and how that's, how that's working for you. Yeah. I honestly feel as if I just like grow really fast all the time. Yeah. (laughs) And I don't, I don't know whether other people feel that way, but I just like, um, I just get really inspired sometimes yeah. to like make big changes. Big I mean, I feel that changes. way every time I talk to someone on this podcast. So I feel you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It'll be fun to catch up. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. Yeah. It was really nice to meet you both. Thanks, Taylor. Thank you. Yeah. Have a great day. You too. Bye. Bye.